0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first edition of the State Invested Podcast, where I bring on world-changing leaders who talk about everything from politics, to finance, to technology, and most important, the impact that they create. I'm your host, Jason Barsima, the co-founder and president of Halo Investing, and I'm honored to have a Halo senior advisor and the 43rd governor of the state of Florida, Governor Jeb Bush. Governor, Jeb, welcome and thank you very much for joining.
1: It's, uh, it's a joy to be with you. I love your backdrop. Um, it uh, looks pretty cool where you are. Basically flourishing in a really strange environment, worried for a lot of people that aren't flourishing, but um, in terms of health and business and family and everything has been, it's, pretty, it's actually pretty nice not to be on American Airlines at 6.30 in the morning on Mondays.
0: I can relate and uh, gives us an excuse to spend a little bit more time with our families and exercising and maybe even teeing it up a little bit. <laughs> um, but uh but you know, with that, and and that's a really important point is you know, you're on at a very interesting time in this country, not only politically, but also economically and from a health perspective. And so as I'm sure, you know, all of our audience is is wondering kind of your take on on the election and not really about choosing sides of, you know, Biden over Trump, but you know, let's just assume Biden wins and the Republicans take the Senate. What does that really mean for the country and and really how do we heal? Where do we go from here to try to bring this nation back together?
1: Well, culturally, uh, first and foremost, we're a divided country. The set of shared values that has always been kind of at the heart of who we are as Americans has been tattered at the seams. I mean, it's it's very different people's values and what they believe is very different than in the heartland than it is on the coasts and whether you have a level of you know, education, we're, we're broke, we've broken ourselves up in our disparate parts and we need to come together again. Uh, it won't happen simply because we had an election, but that could be a really healthy first step. Assuming for a moment that it is uh, President-elect Biden, there are things that he could do almost immediately uh, to begin to heal wounds, to reach out across the aisle politically, just to make it clear, look, you know, he has a set of beliefs politically, but the people that may not agree with him don't have to be considered the enemy, you know? Uh, So I think the closeness of the election makes that possible. If the Republicans do control the Senate, and we'll probably have to fight, wait till January for that to happen with two Senate races in Georgia. I I actually think it I'd like to own a, a television station in Atlanta, the amount of money that's going to be spent it's
0: going to, to be like uh, the next presidential race, right? It's going to be like yeah. a whole new presidential race for that runoff.
1: Yeah, it's going to be crazy. But in any case, assume for a moment that it's 51, 52 to 48 Republicans in control. I think Mitch McConnell has a responsibility and Joe Biden has a responsibility to find some common ground. And in addition to that, uh, my thesis has always been that there is a center, Inside the Senate, uh, Murkowski, Manchin, uh, Susan Collins, the two senators uh, from Arizona, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, Ben Sass, perhaps. Um, there's left. There's there's a center-left and center-right coalition that could come together to really emphasize what I'm describing here. To say we've got to put our country first. This isn't always about some hyper-partisan game we're playing, um, and that that healing of the wounds could help actually begin to, you know, begin for us to, to realize that for us to, we have to have a set of shared values for this country to work. The diversity of our country um, kind of requires it. And out of that uh, shared value, that sense of that, what it is to be an American citizen, you know, comes this incredible innovation and creativity because our diversity is our are strengthened. But right now our diversity is our weakness and the rest of the world wonders if the United States is going to be a serious player in the world. And so, um, even before the inauguration, I think uh, President-elect Biden, if he is the winner, uh, will be duty-bound to do things more than just symbolic things uh, to be able to begin to heal wounds.
0: Amen. And I think that's really well said. And when when you look at that, obviously, you know, sometimes the most troubling. Moments in our country's history are what ultimately align us, right? And and clearly, we're dealing with a global pandemic where you know some believed and some argued that um, you know this this crisis that we're dealing with would bring the country together, and and we didn't really see that happening for a number of different reasons. You know, clearly, you were a governor, right? And you had responsibility over millions of people in the state of Florida. Um, and you know, when you look at the pandemic, what what went wrong with what we did? And, and maybe what would be some of the advice for, you know, President, you know, assuming President-elect Biden you know, coming into office? Again, where do we go from here?
1: The President-elect Biden, again, if he wins, uh, I think has certain skills. He, he does, uh, he, he is an empathetic person. He does care about the suffering of others. And I think that would lift our spirits to have a, a public leader be able to do that.
0: It's the American way, right, is at the end of the day, I think what makes America strong is that Americans take care of Americans uh, when when push comes to shove. And and, you know, I think that some of the division that we've had in this country is because Americans aren't taking care of each other. Um, and so your your talk about empathy, I think, resonates with all of us, irregardless of what party we you know, vote yeah. for, a party we're a part of. You know, we're all a part of the same party, which is America.
1: Another great challenge. Uh, that is disproportionately going to be played out in politics is how do we deal not just with our cultural divide, but also with this, uh, you know, the economic issues that right now are creating massive amounts of wealth for some and limiting opportunity for others.
0: So how do you solve that?
1: We need to make sure we revolutionize how we educate people so that you don't have tons of uh, young people that can't get the first job because they haven't been, haven't learned, they don't have a nationally recognized certificate. Uh, They haven't, they're not really college ready either. And they're, they're, they're going to be dragged down because of a mediocre education. We need to make sure that, um, that uh, uh, there's job training that relates to jobs of the 21st century, not the jobs of the 20th century. There's, there's a, there's a strategy here to be able to lift people up and give people hope that they you know, they can rise up, that they have, they they, they can achieve earned success, which should be the strategy. It's, it, you can't guarantee success, but you can give people the tools to be able to achieve earned success.
0: Well said, well said. And I think uh, we'll, we'll touch upon a couple of the educational topics, you know, later on, but switching from the politics side, uh, as much as we both love to talk about politics, you know, something that's, uh, you know, really interesting, I think, about yourself is, is how successful of an entrepreneur you are. You know, when people think of Jeb Bush, they think of the governor of Florida and the politician. Uh, But they don't really think about, you know, your entrepreneurial skill set and a lot of our viewers and a lot of our partners and a lot of our customers who are independent RIAs who, you know, left the big Wall Street firms and started their own business. um, We're all entrepreneurs. And so, you know, I'd love for you to share with the community some of the lessons you've learned through entrepreneurship and what is some of the advice that you have for entrepreneurs such as myself? Uh, who left the big Wall Street firm and started a technology company. Um, and, and touching upon some of your experience with that, Jeb, I think would be very good. Yeah.
1: Particularly for young people, I my advice normally starts by saying, don't fear the unknown, embrace it. Uh, particularly in this world of massive disruption and, and Halo's actually helping to create um, positive disruption in so many ways. Uh, it, it doesn't have to all be planned out. I think... Um, you're 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 older, obviously, but younger people that have lived kind of in the last fifteen, have grown up in the last fifteen years, seem to be risk adverse. That's the last thing that an entrepreneur can, can be. Uh, you have to figure out where the you know where the challenges are. You can't just blindly pursue you know swing on a vine and put a knife in your teeth and and give the Tarzan yell. You gotta you gotta figure this out, but but you gotta act there should be a bias towards action. I think entrepreneurs that are successful um, don't want to, don't try to plan it all out because that paralyzes them. Um, and then the other key thing in a world that, that is moving at warp speed is adaptability. You know, we're, well, I'll give you an example. In our business, we do a lot of, a lot of things, but the principal part of our business is to invest alongside reputable, private equity firms where we can piggyback on their due diligence, where uh, we're not getting promoted, where we can open up our network to add value and where we're, we're confident that we can help accelerate the growth of the business. That's kind of the criteria we look at. And in the last three deals we've done during the pandemic, uh, we've had, we've, we've raised, gosh, $70 million. Wow. So it's like, we, we called it, you know, we called an audible. Yeah, In February, I had a totally different mindset than I have today. And if you're stuck in your mindset in a world that's always changing, you're gonna miss opportunities. So we've invested in a a company that provides uh, services for public universities to go online. 60,000 students are taking advantage of this technology. Universities are getting, uh, public universities, these are the metropolitan universities are getting a recurring source of revenue. The business is thriving in this environment. We've invested in a in two businesses for frail elders that are dual eligibles, eligible for both Medicaid and Medicare. And the strategies in both cases are to keep people, young, frail elders out of institutional care that costs a lot more. And we see the pandemic raging in these long-term care facilities. So better quality, lower cost, more humane. Again, I think that's a trend that will go on for a long while. So the point I'm saying is adaptability is important. The final thing I'd say is integrity really matters in life and it matters in business. If your compass points North, you can, you can go through a lot of really difficult times and and learn from the experience and, and emerge stronger. But if you, if, if the challenges of life compromise, you know, end up compromising your integrity, it's over game, set and match, whatever you want to call it. And so um, the reason why I'm a big fan of Halo is that uh, you guys are, you know, you reek of integrity and it's really important, particularly when you're building a business from scratch, it's really important to make sure that your clients have that peace of mind that your compass points north.
0: I think that's, um, I think that's a really important point. And obviously thank you for, you know, for your kind words, you know, and I, when you look at it from an entrepreneurial perspective, at least from, you know, my perspective, and, and you've done this your whole life, um, is really focusing one on solving a really big problem that needs to be solved that only you feel like you know how to solve, right? And, and, that's, and that's kind of point number one and, and where we focus on, and I know how much you focus on, you know, yourself throughout your entire career. And then that moral compass point is, is super important, right? We always talk about impact before profits. And I feel like if you set out to create a positive impact in the world, and you do something that's really important that solves you know, a really big problem, then the profits come, right? But it's those who, and you find too often, are focused so much on profits. And then, oh, yeah, once I make a ton of money, then I'm going to do good in the world. And I don't think it really works that way, especially from an entrepreneur perspective. Like, you don't really jump in, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, Jeb, from your perspective, but you don't really jump into a business just because, oh, gosh, I'm going to be the next millionaire, it's because you really have a passion for what you do, and you believe with every ounce of your body that what you're doing is something that's good. Um, and you know, and so from that perspective, you know, when when you you talk about some of the investments that you guys are making, and and again, what you know, many of our viewers might not know is you're a very savvy investor. Um, you know, what are some of the areas you know beyond the you know, the education and, and the healthcare? You know, are there any other particular areas that you're looking at, Jeb, especially in this? Kind of economic and financial climate that you see opportunity
1: across the board. There's opportunities. You know, you're you're in the financial services area, um, democratizing a a financial instrument that where literally millions of people don't have access to it, and now they will. I mean, that's those kinds of things are happening everywhere. Um, we have a business that we work with that is uh, is buying a technology business. To expand dramatically their temporary labor business. But it's harnessing technology in the right way to be able to move you know, exponentially ahead. Um, I think the whole digital infrastructure space is going to be um, uh, enormously important. The role, I don't think people t- totally appreciate uh, what 5G is going to mean for our lives. I mean, it it's it's mind-blowing the exponential access to all sorts of things that's gonna happen if we can properly build out a 5G infrastructure that is just starting. And that's a place, by the way, where the federal government could play a really constructive role uh, in any kind of stimulus that's likely to pass, irrespective of who the president is, likely to pass in December or January. Let's create the next interstate highway system. And all the peripheral effects of that um, are massive business opportunities.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point that you make about, you know, the 5G revolution and obviously something that, you know, is important to us, as you accurately pointed out, we have employees scattered all over the country and now all over the world. Um, and, you know, you can't have that great migration that we might see as a permanent trend for companies as companies are, you know, downsizing. I mean, I, I joke that I have the, the city's largest private office because I'm in a 50,000 square foot office and I'm the only one here. <laughs> uh, and uh, is that really necessary, right? And, and I think that that's a trend that could continue in the future. When you kind of take that over from, you know, just technology and, and into financial technology, which, you know, obviously you're involved with Halo, you know, you're heavily involved with, you know, MyEx, the Miami Options Exchange um, and, and other financial you know, technology related companies. Where do you really see fintech fitting into the future of of just the way that we operate? I mean, especially I mean, your first job was at a bank, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, um, I thought it was Texas Commerce Bank. Uh, that was a long time ago, <laughs> but I opened up the office for Texas Commerce Bank in Venezuela to show you, which was a hot market back then. Yeah, it's absolutely. like the, one of the poorest countries on the face of the earth, sadly. So. Look, you, the businesses in the the traditional financial services businesses, the ones that will will thrive, are the ones that embrace disruptive technologies rather than resist them. And some aren't going to make it because there's a lot of uh, a lot of startups that are focusing on um, big or small parts of the financial services industry. Halo's right in front and center in that regard. So. Um, it, it kind of depends on the leadership of these businesses. Are they gonna transform themselves into uh, consumer focused businesses that really provide um, the best possible service at the lowest possible cost uh, and give financial security along the way? You know, I, I, think, I think we're seeing that happen already. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's really a healthy thing. If you can, I mean, we're, we're moving towards a paperless society. We're slower than other countries. But we're moving. We're moving in that direction. Um, all of this uh, blockchain technologies are going to become the norm faster than I think people realize. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a, it's just a big structural change that's going on throughout our economy as we digitize everything, um, and financial services will be no different. And, and you know the other thing that you you, you mentioned the RAs. Um, uh, what's interesting is you don't have to be working for large enterprises anymore. Basically, you, know, you, can, you can have your back office uh, in, in a form of a software program mm-hmm. and you can have the freedom to be able to live your life as you see fit uh, on your terms and be able to provide as good or better quality of service than when you were working for a big bank. Yep. And I think that's a really positive trend. It democratizes everything. Basically, you're empowering people now to be able to provide services that, in their wildest dreams, even ten years ago they couldn't have done. Uh, that's why you're seeing, I think, the dispersion of financial services out to a broader universe of uh, of entities. Right. Well,
0: I think uh, you're you're absolutely correct. I mean, one of the largest trends in wealth management right now is this migration from you know the wires, if you will, you know, to the independents. and And why do people want to go to independent financial advisors. Well, you hit the nail on the head with the democratization of back office services, of compliance, of products, you know, like Halo or iCapital, some of these, you know, structured notes for Halo and iCapital for other alternative investments. Those were all investments that I only had access to when I was at Credit Suisse, right? And if if Jeb wanted access to those products, you'd have to come to Jason at Credit Suisse. And now you can go to the local financial advisor, you know, down in Miami or Coconut Grove or anywhere in the country, um, and get those products at, you know, typically a lot less price than what you would go to with some of the wires. And, and ultimately, that's made the wires become, I think, more focused on technology. And they have to update those business models if they're going to keep those, those advisors internally and those clients internally. Because it's just such a democratized industry that you can set up shop tomorrow um, and become a financial advisor and, and without too many areas of friction.
1: And the the other fact that technology what technology does bring to our lives is it eliminates the um, the moats you know the mm-hmm. the kind of the monopolistic um, high margin businesses you have to now deliver higher quality at a lower price to be able to be successful you can't depend on barriers of entry
0: yep. technology
1: just destroys those. Um, those fortresses that have, uh, you know, existed for a long time. And it's, it's not just in financial services. It's almost every aspect of, of business now is being, you either have to embrace technology and then innovations that come from it, or you're going to be drowned by it.
0: Well, you, you hit the nail on the head and, and kind of moving into the impact section, but you know, we started the company solely solving the problem that you just talked about where. Because there is this massive wealth gap, you have the one percenters who have access to you know these great products like structured notes and alternative investments that help mitigate, you know, the downside risk and the volatility and allow them to be able to invest in, and save um, you know more economically and and achieve more growth within the portfolio. The rest of us have stocks and bonds and nothing in between. And with this giant. You know, massive quantitative easing that we've got, it's created these asset bubbles potentially in the equity markets because you know, just from a common sense standpoint, you're gonna really put all of your money in a 10-year treasury that's yielding you 80 basis points and negative on an inflation-adjusted basis. What do you do if you're trying to save? And so structured notes bridge that risk gap. And that's the impact that we create because the state of people's savings and retirement around the world, I think is one of the largest epidemics we face. Switching that to impact for you, Jeb, what is the impact, and feel free to comment on what I just said too, but what is the impact that you look to create? I know education and, and health is really important, but where are you spending your time to change the world, right? What do, What's the purpose that you're driving towards?
1: So I'm, I'm the chairman of uh, a foundation called Foundation for Excellence in Education. Excel and Ed is the short form name. Uh, we've been in existence since 2007. It basically, it's a K, pre-K to 12 uh, policy group. Uh, education policy is, is done at the state level. Not Washington plays a secondary role. So we work with policymakers across the country to open up their education systems uh, in, in a variety of different ways. One, the digital divide is, a, is one of our pillars that we focus on. Mm. Secondly, a, a focus on developing uh, strategies for early childhood education. It, it is shameful that a third, in some places even more, in some states even more of the kids are not are functionally illiterate when they graduate from third grade. We should need we need a pre-K to three strategy and a gate at the end of third grade. These are tough policies, but they yield incredible results. You know what the state with the greatest gains on the nation's report card test that comes out every two years for fourth grade reading and 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 uh, eighth grade reading, Mississippi, hmm. which. I basically embraced the strategies, and we work with them directly, Governor Bryant and now uh, Tate Reeves, the, the uh, new governor, mm-hmm. at the best education commissioner, as good as anybody. Um, they're totally committed to a real-world business-like strategy to make sure that there's a focus on early childhood literacy. You can move the needle, and we, we provide um, kind of the best practices, subject matter expertise for um, governors and leaders to, to be able to make a difference. It's, uh, it's where my passions are. And I know that um, particularly low-income kids can, can get a quality education if we have high expectations, robust accountability, more parental choice, a focus on literacy-based um, strategies. Every kid has to learn how to read. And then ultimately we need to move to a system that is where the aspiration is college and or career readiness. A person, a kid graduating from high school should be able to go to college if they want to, because they're capable. They don't need to retake high school reading and math. And they should, they should probably have college courses under their belt, um, either through AP, IB, or dual credit. That ought to be a strategy for every state. And then ultimately, they also should have access embedded in their high school work to um, nationally recognized certificates that say that they could actually start a job, could be on a path. They have a pathway to be able to get a job uh, at a wage that's above the community average. So, yeah,
0: you know, education is the bedrock, right? If you're, if your national export more or less is innovation, which our country is, you know, today is we are innovators and that is, you know, our best export, then you have to have a solid foundation in regards to education to be able to continue to innovate, right? And, and continue to be that world leader in regards to innovation and product development. And so why, you know, what, why education? I mean, you've been focused on education, since I, you know, since I remember, um, obviously, when you were governor, that was a huge focus of your education. And, and what some people might know is you were not always the best student, at least in high school. And then you came up and you graduated magna cum laude, I think, uh, and part of Phi Beta Kappa and graduated as a Longhorn in two and a half years. Yeah. And so, you know, I, uh, um, you know, education has been something Although I'm an NIU Husky, no one's ever heard of us, so I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll piggyback off the off the horns. But you know, on a serious note, like why is education so important to you?
1: Well, first of all, um, for the record, I, my, I was a mediocre student. I, I recognized that in high school until I met my wife, um, and I fell <laughs> in love with her like head over heels in love. Lost 20 pounds, couldn't sleep. Uh, it took her a little longer for her to fall in love with me I guess but we got married when I was 21 and 10 days old and um, I, I didn't make I, I basically I was I made the honor roll my last uh, semester in high school that's after after I met her and then I you know I don't know what my GPA was but it was I probably had one B and the rest were A's and I got out of school effectively in two years so that had nothing to do with the my intelligence, it had to do with a desire to um, you know, marry my, my wife now of 47 years. So for those that think love at first sight doesn't happen anymore, I promise you it's still alive and it's, uh, it's the greatest experience of my life. But education broadly defined is the path forward for people. What we need to do is to make sure that everybody has the capacity to rise up in their own way, to have the confidence to be able to, to embrace the unforeseen, you know, If you want to keep an entrepreneurial, uh, innovative culture, you have to have people that have these skills to be able to think creatively, to be able to have a sense of our history, to be able to communicate effectively. Um, all those things are really important. And yet our education system doesn't deliver that. I'll never forget, uh, I, I went to visit 250 schools as a candidate in, in uh, 1998. And I had pretty radical views that I got to implement in 1999. By the way, Uh, so I was in the Lions Den a lot, and these were, you know, bureaucrats, dedicated teachers, principals, all thinking that I was the devil. You know, so I, it was a good experience for me to be able to put a human context around what, you know, why I was passionate about this. I'll never forget. um, I was at Seminole High School just north of Orlando, and wandering around the school, and I went into this lab. Back then the computers were those green, you know, like Pong. Of
0: course, little, yeah. <laughs> word munch. <laughs> I'm
1: not that oh, old. Red, yeah. So we're, I'm in this, this guy's taking a remediation class because he's going to take, you'll remember this, the HSCT. Of course. It's a high school graduation test, which Florida is one of the few states that has, but it's an eighth grade level test to graduate from 12th grade. Yeah. And he couldn't answer the following question. A baseball game starts at three. It ends at uh, 430. How long is the game? Man, I mean, we, had, we were 50th out of 50 in high school graduation. Uh, and we were 29th out of 31 on, on the NAEP test, the nation's report card in fourth grade reading. So that, you know, if there are people marching in the streets legitimately for racial justice and social justice, Economic justice, I, I'm all for that. I think that First Amendment right is a powerful part of who we are as a nation. But why are people marching in the streets for education outcomes that are so dismal that shuts out the opportunity for this kid was named uh, Santiago. I mean, I don't think Santiago uh, was going to pass that eighth grade level test. He won't. He won't be. He wouldn't be a high school graduate, and his his future was limited. I don't know about you, but that pissed me off. I mean, that's that's why I was like you know, very passionate about this and still am today, that people can talk all you want about justice. But until, particularly now, until people, young people have that power of knowledge to be able to be successful in life, they're gonna be shut out. And the demands on government will grow, the divides that we now see all across the country in all sorts of different ways will will grow, will not subside. And we're gonna lose who we are as a nation. So to me, this is a really important value that all of us should be actively engaged in.
0: Well said. I, I, I actually don't have any follow-up questions in regards to the education side. I think that that's very well said. And I've- by the way,
1: just to, to end the story, um, Florida's graduation rate has gone up every year since 1999 to being at the national average about 85% of kids graduate now. We have a 10th grade level um, graduation test instead of an eighth grade level. Uh, on the NAEP test, 10 years from the being 29th out of 31 on the fourth grade reading test, 10 years later after we had all this disruptive reform that uh, you know I just stuck with it, we ended up uh, sixth out of 50. Florida's low-income kids are number one in the country. Hispanic kids are two grade levels ahead of Hispanic kids in Chicago, for example. Um, African-American kids, top five. Kids with learning disabilities, top five massive improvement because of real accountability, school choice, a focus on early childhood literacy, and other states can do this, and some are.
0: Well, and that's the definition of equality, in my opinion, from the educational efforts that, you know, you're focused on today, and obviously we're focused on when I was growing up, because kids like me, if you wanted to get a decent education, you know, no offense to the state of Florida, you had to go to private school, and most people can't afford private school, and I was very blessed to be able to go to private school. But if you went to public school, you know, honest to God, you were sharing a textbook between four kids. And you know, you couldn't bring the textbooks home. And how are you supposed to learn under those environments? And which is why the education is so poor. And then you really, you know, transformed that, which I which I thought is amazing. And I just I always want to make sure our audience understands, you know, the impact that you created in the state was profound. And in for that matter, the country, because of what you're doing with initiatives that you're doing, and this isn't a rah-rah speech, but I, I think it's pretty neat. You know, with that, you know, changing topics a, a little bit and, and um, you know, what a lot of our, uh, you know, partners always ask us, are like, gosh, you know, you have, uh, you have Governor Jeb Bush as a senior advisor to Halo, you know, and wow, that's, that's really neat. But well, why is Jeb interested in Halo, right? And, and why is Jeb involved in Halo you know, I'd love for you to you know, spend a couple sentences on you know, what is your interest in what we're doing and, and why is what we're doing important?
1: Well, it's important because you're going to be providing um, high quality uh, services to people that don't have access to it. And I like being part of this you know, positive uh, disruption. I think, you know, look, I'm 67 years old. I could probably shut it down. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I oh. I'd probably I'd, it would drive me nuts if I did. But uh, I like, Still 10 years like being than part of president. <laughs> I like. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really young for uh, for That's a president right. this time. <laughs> um, I, I like being part of of businesses and and people that lead these businesses uh, that are involved in really creative, exciting things. It's just it's part of who I am. So um, I. Our main business is focusing on middle market uh, businesses and helping them grow. But we do have uh, a lot of interesting relationships uh, that are similar to, to what you're doing at Halo. And you guys are at the top of the list. I mean, the, the growth and the potential is just enormous. And um, my, my grandkids are gonna appreciate it. I know that for a fact.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that, thank you. No, I mean, it's a, yeah, not to spend a podcast uh, you know, celebrating, but uh, yeah, it's an honor. It's an honor, obviously, of uh, to have you and in, involved, and in just the intellect that you bring. Well, look at look at
1: who your partners are. I mean, they they see the the same thing when I talked about successful entrepreneurs need to be risk takers. They can't be sitting on the sideline. They have to embrace the unknown. They have to um, have a strategy that disrupts the old order because that's where I think there's great business opportunities. And they have to have integrity. Well, Allianz uh, doesn't invest in people that don't have integrity and aren't part of something that is gonna have, you know, big implications for their customers. They wanna be part of that. They don't wanna get overwhelmed by it, right? Uh, and similarly, other major institutions are embracing this as well. So it's a it's, it's a good indication that you're on the right track.
0: Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Kind of wrapping it up in regards to the personal side, you know, if I got a former governor uh, uh, on the line, you know, what do you do in your free time, Jeb? I mean, you, uh, you know, besides all of the impact that you're creating, what does is, what is, what is Jeb Bush do on the weekends or, or for fun?
1: So um, I exercise, I exercise. I normally walk in the morning four or five miles in my neighborhood, listen to podcasts or listen to audiobooks. Uh, I shut it down normally around four o'clock um, to, to do my Peloton and yoga.
0: And then I watch Netflix
1: at night, answering emails with my wife. So stop watching cable news. Uh, it's bad for my health. And we watch, we watch Netflix. And you know, as I said, I'm in madly in love with my wife. And the fact that I can spend the night with her every night, literally for, since March 10th, has been an amazing blessing. So it's a pretty simple life. It, I basically don't leave my zip code. Uh, I'm the most productive I've ever been. Our businesses are thriving, the foundation continues to work, uh, and my health is good. It's, it's, I would have never guessed that it would be, I feel guilty about it, actually, Jason. I, I feel like, and it, it does, it makes me worry that a lot of people um, in my kind of situation, something like mine, are flourishing, and so many people aren't. And uh, there's going to be a, you know, there's going to be a price to pay for this deep division that exists. And I hope we get beyond where we are today, get a vaccine, get back out in the, you know, get people back in the game in a healthy way.
0: No, no, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I have to ask before I let you go, what are you watching on Netflix?
1: Oh man. Uh, Well, actually it's, we're watching on HBO. We're watching Tehran. Yeah which is phenomenal. It's kind of like uh, Fauda, which is probably my favorite show. Yeah. Uh, what else are we watching? We're watching gosh, so many different things. Handmaid's Tale we're watching. That's on Hulu. I got, I watch them. I watch all of them. Uh, we kind of, we, we have about six we watch at a time. And in um, the podcasts, which I really enjoy, there's just across the board, very eclectic. I just finished a podcast called Fiasco, which related to the 2000 election. Wandering mm-hmm. around my, <laughs> the streets of Coral Gables, re, being reminded of what was a wild, wild uh, 30 plus days after the 2000 election. I probably was breaking out in a rash listening to it, but.
0: The state, well, your state was front and center too. And uh, it, was, uh, it was, it
1: crazy. was crazy. And by the way, here's a, a, a good news story that we clearly weren't ready for a, a, an election with 574 vote difference that determined the next president. No state would have been, and we weren't either. But we reformed our election laws and how we operate the election. And Florida counted its votes on election night. It was relatively close, but by 10 o'clock, it was clear that Donald Trump won because the, all the absentee ballots, early votes were all counted prior to the election. Yeah. Any, any ballot that came in after 7 o'clock on election night wasn't going to be counted. Uh, and 70% or 80% of the vote was, was early votes. So we reformed our system, and it worked really well. It's actually a model for the rest of the country now, and I'm really proud of that.
0: First and foremost, I want to thank Jeb Bush for joining me on the Stay Invested podcast, brought to you by Halo Investing. Check out this episode and all future episodes on Halo's blog at haloinvesting.com and across all major podcast outlets. Thank you again for watching and remember to stay invested.